The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have two special guests, very important people, Susan Leahy and Freeman Michaels. Susan and Freeman are partners in a business called Group to Team, and they are amazing in their capacity to bring people together and help each individual be their best self in the way they work together. It is really fascinating to see them in action. I've had the opportunity to see them in front of a group in Southern California, and I just love the energy that the two of you bring. So Susan has a background as a speaker and has for 15 years been working in management and leadership development. She and Freeman together co-founded Group to Team. Uh, Susan also has a master's degree um, in behavioral science from Bastyr. Freeman Michaels is um, a fellow radio show host um, and much more than that. Freeman has years of experience in helping individuals reach their full potential. He has worked with groups. He has worked with individuals in a coaching capacity. And Freeman says success comes down to a habit. Now we're going to hear more about that. So both of you, welcome to Leading Conversations. Thanks, Cheryl. Thanks, Cheryl. Glad to be here. So glad to have you both here. Now, Susan, you are in Mexico right now, aren't you? I am. I'm living La Vida Loco in uh, in Mexico. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So this is the kind of um, guest that I, I love having on the show. The two of you are such adventurous spirits. So, Susan, we have to ask, um, what what was the the moment where you knew you were going to take this little adventure with your family and move with two small children and your husband? To Mexico? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'll take you back to a conversation. Actually, Freeman and I were in the office together one day, and I let him know. I said, you know, Freeman, my husband and I and the kids, we're, we're planning on moving. And it was really interesting. You remember this moment, Freeman? Yeah, big time. And, and Freeman's, you know, he, his energy kind of sunk because we're in this, this new partnership. And, and it was interesting yeah. because it was a really defining moment in our partnership because we know, we knew we were moving and, and we were like, well, how is that going to affect our partnership? And, uh, and it was then that we made the declaration that our partnership was not going to be dependent upon location. And really breathing into the new possibility of what we're we're living in today, what's uh, what's available to us, and so our our partnership has continued even though I have crossed the border. I love it. That's so great. So Freeman, so I'm so glad you're here. You know, I have had the pleasure of getting to know you and your wife uh, several times as we've met in a wonderful group that we are in together. And I have seen you really evolve from a person who is absolutely adamant about how this work is vital to someone who is now an offer of how this work is vital. And I just love that transition in you. So, where are you today? Yeah, where are you today? I'm in Los Angeles. You're in Los Angeles. 
So I have to say, just for those who who like a little um, background information on Freeman, Freeman um, is a former actor. I suppose we act in kind of the business that we do now, don't we? Um, And he's a former actor, and some of you would notice him as um, a former hunk on a serial, what do we call them now? Soap opera, serial, daytime television. Um, and so going from actor hunk to uh, <laughs> hunk who stands in front of groups with his absolutely beautiful business partner, Susan, I have to tell you, the two of you are beautiful together, not just in the energy you have, but it, it's just so nice to see your energy come through in your physical form. So, you know, I don't usually talk a lot about my guest's physical appearance, but the two of you have just shined such beauty. It's just so great. So I have to ask, uh, Freeman, what, what made you decide to move from an acting career into this kind of work? Wow. Um, you know, it's, a, it, it's kind of an unfolding. I, I don't know if I, I ever made a decision. I think that, you know, life involves these series of, let's call them unplanned, uh, some people call them happy accidents, and uh, there's a way when they fall into place that we know they're right. I'll actually track back to when Susan and I first began working together. Uh, I had a sense of what I wanted to create, and I thought I was working with someone else, and it wasn't really working out. And I saw Susan speak, uh, and I had gotten to know her a little bit, but when I saw her speak in the way that she held herself, uh, let's say on stage, because that's what it was, she was up on a stage speaking to a group of people, I was, I immediately got a click, right? And I knew to trust that click. That's who I want to work with. Um, And the second part, which uh, she mentioned, is how we want to hold the partnership because this partnering has been a gift beyond the, the, the fact that we like each other and we do great work together. The staying in the work of being great partners has been a tremendous gift to my other partnerships, my partnership with my wife, my role as a father, other ways that I partner with people in the world. So those are sort of two pieces of the puzzle, Cheryl, that that seem to fit with what we're talking about right now. I love that. So let's get further into this whole concept of partnership before we move into the, the team element of your work. Business partnerships are tricky. And, you know, we've all seen them. We've seen them over the years in our business. And especially when it's business that is connected to the heart, I think that it actually makes it even tougher because it's, it's not like, you know, it's a business where you're building widgets and it's, you could be building any widget. You know, this is really about heart work. And so you're not only helping others, you're pretty vulnerable yourself, and then in the midst of all that, you have to move together and almost in a choreography fashion with one another. How does that feel different to each of you? Susan, let's start with you, versus when you are when you are on the stage by yourself or you are working mm-hmm. individually one-on-one with a client? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be honest, in my career, I've gotten to this place where I've, I've been the sage on the stage. I've been the individual person who comes in, does the show, and holds the crowd. And there's a lot of, um, you know, it feels good to be able to hold that space. But I think that this is a, another level of expansion when you can really invite and be in a space with another human being. You know, partnership might be hard, but it's really worth it. At the end of the day, I don't want to go through this existence alone. I really am committed in my marriage. I'm committed in my business, my partnership with Freeman. That, that we talk about how difficult partnership is, but at the end of the day, partnership is worth it because it, it feels different. The experience is different when you are able to do it in partnership and in teams. So I love that. So, Freeman, what about for you? 
Yeah, I think I think that was beautifully articulated, Susan. Um, again, I've grown so much in the commitment to partnering and what that means, which for me, you know, it harkens back to what you said, is that I'm showing up more and more as a generous offer in the world, uh, which I'm so grateful you said that, because that's my commitment. Is And, and it's interesting, Susan and I talk about this a lot, um, whether we're showing up uh, with an agenda, with a self-interest, or whether we're able to show up in a way that allows other people to feel seen and heard and cared about. And that's true whether it's two people or whether we're moving into a team environment where we're inviting more people to partner with us in a shared mutual interest versus my own self-interest. I love that, shared mutual interest. Well, so that would mean that the two of you would have to be very clear about what that mutual interest is. Imagine that it would be possible that each one of you could have an assumption about what that could be, and those assumptions could be divergent. Is that true? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can, Go ahead, I can answer that. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, what's interesting is we are more concerned with the quality of experience that we want to generate than necessarily with how it looks, right? So we talk a lot about a quality-based vision. What's the quality of experience we're looking to create? And then if we're orienting towards that, lots of different ways, uh, lots of different mechanisms, let's say, can come in to express that quality. So, you know, this is kind of the work, is coming back to, but what are we really trying to achieve here? What's the quality of experience we want? What's the, the feeling? Mm-hmm. And Susan actually is the one who really brought this to me because um, she said something powerful. Susan, you want to tell the story, or, or do you want me to tell the story about, no, about share, the, share how the it feels? Yeah, yeah share so, so we had our sort of first butting heads moment, and Susan said to me, Freeman, you deserve to feel good, and I deserve to feel good, and this doesn't feel good. And it was really disarming, but also really empowering. Like, it doesn't feel good. Thank you for that. And we came back to what are we trying to achieve here versus getting caught in being right or how we thought it was supposed to look or something like that. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And it also takes the uh, real self-awareness to, number one, Susan, for you to say, to be honest and call it what it is, and for you, Freeman, to be able to hear that. Because, you know, let's face it, there are a lot of people in partnership who actually spend a lot of time competing with one another, and they have not actually learned to partner. I mean, I believe that partnering is a skill, and it actually can be taught, and I really wish that that was part of the life skills that, you know, it's this list of life skills I wish we were teaching children from a very young age. Yeah. And, right? <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, the two of you have children, so, you know, at varying ages, and so you know what that's like. And, um, boy, it would be great if they even partnered with their parents, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely oh, right. Yeah. I mean, one of the Cheryl, one of the things that I do every morning with my kids is I'll, I'll ask them in the morning. I'll say, "Okay, what's our family mantra?" And my four-year-old and my six-year-old will say, "Healthy, wealthy, happy, and fun." And and we'll talk about, well, who's the chooser? And my little four-year-old will say, "I'm the chooser." And I'm like, "Well, then, what are you choosing today?" And and he says, "I'm choosing happy." And I'm like, well, that's a really great choice, Connor. What are you going to do in order to make that choice your reality? And, and the discussion, I, it's so funny. It's like what, we, what Freeman and I do with each other is what we do with our spouses, is what we're doing with our children, and is what we're doing with our clients. This idea of partnership, it really doesn't, it doesn't matter the, the role. It doesn't matter if it's per- personal or professional. These skills, like you said, are transferable and they can be taught. I, I, I love add to that. 
Yeah, I want to add to that. The, the story that Susan was talking about when uh, she announced that they were going to move to Mexico, and my initial response was it wasn't what I wanted. And what Susan said uh, it was, I want to hold this, that our partnership allows us the flexibility to live wherever we want. And it was such a reframe. So what Susan was doing and, and what she's describing with her kids is she was managing the context. And this is a big part of what we talk about. And so for Connor, if the context is today I want to be happy or today I want to have fun, then that's the context. Then the question becomes, are my choices aligned with the uh, that, that context, the energy I want to create. And it's, uh, it's a constant, for, for me at least, because the tendency is to fall into patterns, right? This is where everything comes mm-hmm. down to habit. Uh, and so the, the question is, do I have the consciousness to make a choice? And, and in fact, for uh, our work, a lot of it is making a choice in a deliberate way. We call them practices, right? So we're practicing mm-hmm. something that elevates us out of the sort of small story and, and takes us in the direction of what it is we want to create. So, you know, I, I think about how partnership is not only a mirror, but it goes deeper than that. It really allows us to work um, the deep recesses, almost the shadow side of ourselves, and in order to then reflect outward our best selves. Because if we do not work that with a partner, um, there's no hiding. There's no hiding in partnership. And... You know, it makes me think about how easy it actually is to hide when you are by yourself, when you are standing as a sage on the stage. If you are really good at that hiding part, which a lot of people are, um, others who are experiencing you may not ever know that hiding place. But when you are with a partner in front of people, there is no hiding. It's really a fascinating process, yeah? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and well, if I could just yank back the veil a little bit for me is, you know, I have, like most people, I have a really big ego. And and Freeman, you've got a beautifully sized ego as well. And <laughs> and if I do say so myself, and and it and for me, I love the humility, and I love the practice, and I love how confronting it is to really share, to really share, to get back into the sandbox, and really get back into sharing. Because even though it's confronting, and I have to manage my ego, and it is the greatest practice I can be in, it's the richest place that I can be playing the game. And, and so I, I love it. Yeah, and what you just said, Cheryl, is the idea that it's exposing. When you uh, get to know someone beyond the superficial to where you can't hide anymore mm-hmm. and things get revealed, um, there's two ways that goes. Either that's the end of the relationship or that's the moment where the relationship becomes more real. That's the deepening of the relationship. And for me, you know, I don't always love feeling exposed, especially when it's, as you put it, Cheryl, some of the shadow stuff, some of the pieces that I, I, I generally, you know, I'm not necessarily proud of, you know, even my big ego. Uh, sometimes it, it, I'd rather pretend like that doesn't exist. But you know, the, the, the opportunity in having a partner who you know is cheering for you. That's a big distinction, right? Susan and I are both cheering for each other, and we know that. And in the cheering for each other, we're also willing to call each other out on things that, you know, might be uncomfortable. Yes, yes. Well, and let's, let's remember that ego, um, you know, ego actually gets a bad rap in our society um, because people view ego strictly as arrogant behavior or lashing out or et cetera. But in fact, ego is designed to protect us. Ego yeah. is designed, right, to um, keep us from looking vulnerable when we are in dangerous situations. You know, this is designed into us, hardwired into us from the beginning of time. And so... What we need to do is actually partner with ego. 
And then the way we partner with ego is to be appreciative that it's there. We know it's there to protect us. And there are times when we don't need its protection. And so yeah. we need to simply say, thank you, ego. We, I know you're here to protect me. And I promise you, I will call on you when I need you. But right now, I don't need you. So thank you. And step out of that. Because oftentimes what happens when we fall into the definition that society likes to give ego, it actually causes us more defensive behavior because then we move into justifying why we're doing what we're doing. And that is that is a level of not having that self-awareness. So I love what you guys are doing together. And I love that, you know, you're doing it not only with each other, but I imagine you're doing it in front of the groups that you are with. Is that true? Yeah. yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, that's why we're doing this. You know, that's really why we're doing this. Because, I I mean, to really see a strong male figure and see a strong female figure and really then see that partnership manifest on stage, I don't think there's any greater example. Sometimes I tell Freeman, I don't think it's even about what we say. It's about who we be Mm. when we're up in front of a room. And that I can be fully present and engaged and I can be seen and I can be heard and Freeman can have the same uh, opportunity. And, and I think it creates magic in the room. I think the world is starving to see that, especially that male-female dynamic, um, so powerfully and so generously kind of on stage together. It's mm-hmm. a dance. And I think it's refreshing. Yeah, That's I beautiful. Think, I think this, the second part of that is the sharing the stage. It's the space we're sharing and the co-creating, right? So yeah. there is this amazing dance. And I'll even say sometimes the awkward moments because we're pretty committed to self-revealing. I mean, that's part of what we do is we don't yeah. just model how great it can be when you're clicking yeah. on all cylinders. You know, we move into the awkward moments and we sort of expose ourselves on purpose. Um, I mean, we do this when people aren't looking as well, right? We, 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 you know, sort of, you know, we tell the truth. We tell the truth about what's going on for us. And that may include, I'm feeling frustrated right now, or it may include, uh, okay, that feels overwhelming to me or, or whatever it is. So I think the modeling is a lot of things. I think the modeling is a sharing and a co-creating, and it's also uh, revealing, being willing to reveal, be vulnerable and uh, and make that something that's honorable. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to move into our conversation about how this element of partnering works in groups and works with teams. We'll be right back with Susan Leahy and Stephen Michaels. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Well, welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with my very special guest today, Susan Leahy and Freeman Michaels. And we're here to talk about their new evolution of the work they do called Group to Team. So, Freeman, tell us a bit about what this means, Group to Team. What is this? Well, so what Susan and I have, uh, this actually started more with Susan. Uh, I was doing collaboration training, and Susan had something called Group to Team, which at the first I didn't know what she was talking about. And so she introduced me <laughs> to the idea 
um, that we're always organizing towards one or the other. Uh, and team is something that uh, we, we aspire to. Um, it's not a... Uh, it's not an, it's something we achieve. It's not a destination, but it's an energy that we can feel when we're in the collaborative spirit of team. Again, sort of the shared interest, and everyone is contributing um, rather than group. And group is where we're really protecting ourselves. We're in self-interest. We're in our um, sort of ego, our, our our sense of self that we put out in the world, and the way you know, and so forth. And and in a team environment, when we're feeling team. All of that kind of sheds because we're collaborating. We have something shared that we're going after. And so group to team is helping organizations and individuals within those organizations to uh, recognize when they're in group and to aspire to generate and create team. Hmm. So, Susan, I I imagine that um, you started this as you've been in this business for a long time, you started this as you were watching um, people who called themselves teens not really being effective. Is that true? Well, I mean, I had a really personal experience with this where I served on a really wonderful, amazing, dynamic team, and I walked away motivated and energized, and I went back and I decided to give another year of service, and, and man, then I had a horrible depleting, depressing, sad, demotivating experience within the same structure. And I really walked away. Uh, it kind of, it kind of messed me up a little bit. And, and I, I walked away and that's my kind of study. started studying. I got my master's in behavioral science and I, I kind of came up with this concept, like what was the difference between those two experiences? And it really came down to that, one year we, we created a team, and the other year we, we were stuck in group. And, and I sat there and I thought, it's really that simple. It's either group or team. Everything that you do, you think, you say, you feel is either elevating you into the experience of team or it's keeping you stuck in the starting point, which all of us are in that starting point, all of us, which is group. And it just kind of gave well, and what- clarity. What was the, the key difference that allowed you to create a team versus the following year being stuck in a group, especially since you'd already had that experience and you knew what team felt like? Yeah, and it's funny. One of the things that Freeman and I always say is that saying you're a team doesn't make it so. And, uh, and when you, <laughs> a lot of people use the word, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee you that you're going to have the experience. And I think one of the fundamental differences of, of our teachings is really that team is not a destination. I mean, and, and I think that, that we, we kind of think this about team, that, okay, once you're a team, then you're a team, like you've achieved it as, it's a, as if it's a space that's guaranteed to you. The reality is, is that team is an experience that you have throughout the year or throughout the duration of the time that you're in that relationship. And you want to, as many times as you can, consciously work to elevate into the experience of team, into the experience of team, because it's in that space where you get to experience more energy, where your, your tank gets to get filled, where it's a little bit more self, uh, self-generating, energetically generating. Group is depleting, and group color takes suck and it's all. So the year that you experienced that wonderful team sense of, you know, how you guys work together and, you know, what your output was versus mm-hmm. the following year, was the difference? Were there different players? Did you have more stress? Was there something going on that was a problem that you were trying to solve that you couldn't get to? What what caused that difference? I think the underlying issue was personality differences. It was a different uh, team. It was a different group of people. And, and it was just there wasn't trust. Um, you know, to be specific, there was one gentleman who didn't like me, and I couldn't figure out how to break through it, and I didn't understand him. So there was really a low level of trust. Um, there wasn't necessarily a feeling of mutual respect. And so there's all of these energetic things. We can say, that, oh, I felt disrespected, or I felt like I wasn't heard, or I didn't feel safe. And I think that you hear that 
from people when they're in, in groups that aren't functioning well. Uh, but yeah. it's how do you make the energetic leap? Because we all know when we're stuck in a dysfunctional group. We're frustrated. We're not heard. We're not valued. You know, so I, that's exactly what I was experiencing. Yeah. And so, Freeman, I've heard you say before that, you know, one change in a um, group of people or on a team creates a new team. And so how do you coach teams to navigate that? Because, you know, we've all seen how when a new person joins a group or a team, um, everybody else assumes it's all going to continue the same way, and they don't necessarily integrate that individual. Yeah. So how do you do? Well, so the idea that someone's coming in is going to change the dynamic. And that's part of how the person, you know, needs to be integrated in, that they're coming in with a different perspective. Their otherness becomes very important. Um, One of the things, you know, just to track back a little to Susan's story, because it's very important in how we train companies, is that there is a false sense of team that we call microgroups. The the easier language is mm-hmm. a click, right? That people mm-hmm. are dividing up into these little clicks, either um, you know two people or small, uh, you know four people within a, a larger team. And 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 the problem with there's a number of problems with that. The bonding pattern is problematic because it becomes an us and them. And so part of what we have to do often when we come into organizations is do some dismantling of that and helping mm-hmm. people get to where they can be more inclusive. Uh, because we do naturally, just like we have these ego identities as individuals where you know, we talk about ourselves in a particular way, we also draw on people who are familiar and similar. You get the good old boy network a lot of times. It doesn't have a lot of diversity, but it's very comfortable in the story it's telling and actually the story it's creating. So there has to be an opening where we're willing to risk not knowing. We're willing to risk including different or other and actually get excited about that. And then we co-create the space between us, what it is we're all committed to, what we all can get behind. And that's when the magic starts to happen. So diversity at first is problematic and we organize into these little clicks and then we break through that consciously and we allow for the diversity to be a strength. And that's where things get really exciting and fun. Mm. I like that. So, Susan, what do you think? Um, is there a value to having clicks or microgroups at all? Well, I think what we need to understand is that the microgroups are inevitable. It, it, is, it is classic human behavior. In our desire to create that thing that we all want more of, which is team, we will actually create fictitious teams that are highly dysfunctional that will create these moments of uh, connection. And they're not, they're not the type of connection that's really going to be self-sustaining over the long period of time because microgroups are, are, are deceptive places. You can be in the middle of a microgroup and have people hanging around you, or you can be on the outside of the microgroup, come to work next, you know, the next day. So even they're, they're not a safe place because group isn't mm-hmm. a safe place. And so what yeah, we need that, to recognize... Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. So what we need to recognize is that microgroups aren't bad. Group isn't bad. It's just the natural starting point of people who are trying to create that thing that we all want, which is team. So when we go into organizations, Cheryl, and when Freeman and I talk about microgroups, it's as if as people just exhale because now we're giving, mm-hmm. you know, a word to the dirty little thing that we've been watching everybody do that's driving these wedges between departments, between divisions, between organizations, between people. Well, so what do you think um, in terms of you know, it kind of sounds like families, right? You know, the first experience most people have around group or team is a family structure of some sort. And so do we really learn it there? I mean, is there a chance that we can learn not to do those things? Or, I mean, you know, does it all come from there? What do you think? Uh, yeah. What about you? Yeah. 
I think the family of origin has a huge impact on, on the patterns that we, we bring into work. But I believe there's a deeper desi- desire underneath of the, the pattern is to really elevate into the experience of team. I think it speaks to the heart of all of us. It's a universal mm-hmm. want. We want to be connected. We want to have deeper partnership. We want someone to really deeply care about us. We want people to know that we've got, you know, you've got my back. I want to feel cared for and I want to care about. I think that these are universal desires, but what we don't have is the, pra- the, the, the practices to help elevate people into those experiences. We've got the bad patterning down. <laughs> we've got that down. You know, and this is really, and this is why I love the work with Freeman because what we're doing isn't separated. Freeman's doing this work with his wife and he's doing this work with his kids and he's doing this work with other partners as am I. So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I think it definitely is the same. It's every area of your life. Right. Well, so Freeman, let me ask you this because I know um, that in your strength and I, and I, you know, can say this from the first few times I met you, um, that in your strength, you showed up very much as a strong, independent individual. And, you know, that, um, and not that, you know, we all aren't strong and independent and individuals, but there was some energy in you that was almost like a separating from. And I, when I think of that, I think, you know, well, that's what we do as we evolve, um, you know, through our developmental stages. And, and, you know, we see that a lot in teenagers who are trying desperately to have their own identity, so they start to individuate. And, you know, we see that in adults who fight the idea of wanting to be part of or fight the idea of being part of a team in the workplace. They just want to show up and not have to deal with, quote, unquote, any of the drama um, of the team, <laughs> yeah, right? And so, Freeman, how have you shifted that in yourself, and how do you help others shift that? Yeah, so I think that the old paradigm of leadership that I was bought into is that uh, a leader is sort of the loudest voice. It's the person who has an opinion, and people either get behind that opinion, they're in or they're out. And, you know, with a certain number of stripes, you know, if I'm the sergeant, I have three stripes, and the people with two stripes or one stripe have to listen to me. Uh, that's the old model. And uh, it, the, the new model is not about – it's about including. It's about, it's about drawing mm-hmm. out – uh, so that people feel like they can contribute. It's about being a space for something collaborative to occur. We often talk about this with management. You know, are you managing tasks? And a lot of managers are. And they've got various, they've got a bunch of people they are plugging in and trying to get the task done. Some people uh, elevate a little bit to managing people, uh, but oftentimes they end up managing personalities, right? It's about the drama, and they're trying to sort out the drama and get people to work together and so forth and so on. What Susan and I say, is the elevation is where you're managing energy. You're managing the context, right? You're helping people self-select into something that they want and that other people want. And that's, you know, the the simple terminology is getting everyone on the same team. Um, So that's the new paradigm of leadership. It's about uh, drawing out and including and allowing versus sort of dictating, right? Being the loudest voice, then people are either in or out. And, you know, that's not generous. So this idea of showing Mm. more and more as an offer is absolutely in alignment with the work that we do. Oh, I love this. And we have a whole lot more to talk about. We're going to take a break right now, and we'll be back in just a moment.
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Escobedo with my two very special guests, Susan Leahy and Freeman Michaels, of their work group to team. So, you guys, let's start talking about the... You talk about three arenas in the group to team work. And I want you to talk about that a bit. You you talk about a premise, you talk about a mindset, and you talk about the drama. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we've talked a little bit about the premise. If you were going to sum up premise in a couple of sentences, Freeman, what would that be? Um, moving from self, moving from self-interest to, to shared interest. That's really the, the key premise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, the, and I think the key premise too is, is that, you know, it's really that there are only two options. That right. as you're moving from self-interest to, to shared interest, there's only two options. Everything you do, you think, you say, you feel is either putting you in the bucket of group or it's putting you in the, eleva- the elevation of team. Mm. You know, what I love about this work that you guys are doing is that so often when people are um, trying to learn how to be a team and they have a consultation, it's about, it's, it's called team building, and it, they teach um, behaviors that would be effective yeah. in a team, but rarely do they get taught what is happening when they're not being team so that they can actually have a picture or a sense or a sensation of the difference between group or team. I, I love the way you've made this distinction. So the, the next area you talk about is mindset. So, Freeman, Freeman, talk about the mindset piece. Well, just if, if your mindset is team, the question becomes, how do your choices, actions, behaviors, and attitudes change? This is one of the things we do early on in the, in the training is uh, there's a shift. If I'm coming from the perspective of team, how do my choices, actions, behaviors, and attitudes change? Hmm. And so how do I get the mindset? Well, we get to the mindset by, uh, well, first of all, every individual is responsible for choosing team. It isn't that you have a great team leader. There is a, a leadership perspective that's more inclusive, for sure. But each individual takes ownership of what they're creating, right? So it's not uh, I, as the you know, president of the company, let's say, have to get everyone to be on the same team. It's really about creating an environment, again, the space where people can take ownership and they can be responsible for creating and generating team in the way they interact with people. So that's where the mindset piece fits. And so I imagine if someone does not um, sign on, so to speak, or if someone is not comfortable with moving into that mindset, but you, let's say you have a, a group of, of seven people and Six people are ready to go and, you know, believe in that mindset and taking responsibility for that, and one person just is not doing that. Um, what happens to that group trying to be a team? 
So let, let me just share this, because one of the things that we do is that that often is the case, where it feels like you've got six of the seven people who are vested, we want to be a team, but then we've got that one problem child, right? That one person who it just won't do it right, won't play fair. We have a three-step process that we share, which is relatively simple, and that's our commitment. That even though this is all in the, in the mind, we want to make it practical and digestible and actionable. Um, this three-step process is first about sitting down with those seven people, and you go through these three steps, and Freeman and I will share these right now. Step one is to really ask the question and create an invitation for people to choose team. Because most, most teams have never been asked, hey, are we going to be a group or are we going to be a team? Team many time is, times is assumed. And so it's really about sitting down and getting, getting the invitation to everyone. And so this is, this is by asking the question. And Freeman, you can share step number two. Yeah, then we just want to find the shared context. What is it that we're going to organize around that everyone feels included in? So that person that doesn't feel included has a tremendous opportunity to define for themselves what matters. And then our job, once we know what matters to that person, is to hold the space where they can get their needs met. And, and so that's the second one. Define team. Have a way that we anchor so that everyone feels seen, heard, appreciated, valued, and feels like they can contribute value. Yeah, and the anchor is really important, Cheryl, because, you know, even Freeman and I, we have an anchor for our partnership and our partnership vision, and it really talks about what we feel and what we think together. Some examples are we feel safe uh, to be fully human with each other, open, authentic, and available. We love what we do. We work to serve ourselves and our families. We hold each other in high regard. We see each other as our fullest potential. So Freeman and I use a lot of sentences in what we want to think or feel, but it can be as simple as saying we create a space where people feel heard, appreciated, and valued. Those three words can become the anchor that are the energetic guide for everyone on the team to say, you know what, I'll be honest, I'm not feeling very appreciated right now. And now we at least have a way to talk about the energy that we're not experiencing. Because we all know when we're being, when we're not, we don't feel disrespect, when we don't feel respected. We all know when we're not feeling valued, but we don't have a way of talking about it. So having this very specific anchor gives you a way to struggle towards something instead of struggling with each other. And I want to add to that. So we talk about the commitment to team, but it's really a recommitment. So we're constantly recommitting to team because we're all going to organize back to group. That's what people do. We organize back to, you know, our self-interest. We organize back to the known. We organize back to these little petty behaviors. But we aspire to team. And so that's what we keep doing. That's actually the third step is we consistently are asking, are we – in group right now, or are we in team? And when we're not in team, we need to keep reorienting and recommitting to whatever it takes, practices and standards, so that we can stay on track. So, well, you know, what I've noticed about things like this, um, groups have a, a time frame where they're trying to actually figure out what those things mean. So let's say that you have a group of seven, and one person tends to be um, talkative, say very talkative, tends to expound on things for a long time, and the group, it drives the group crazy because in the second sentence that this person speaks, they know what that person means, and yet this person goes on. And mm. when they are stopped, they now feel unappreciated, unheard, and not valued. So what do you do with that? Well, and and I think it really depends on the work that you've done before that situation happens. Ah. Because all of us have personality differences that are going to make people feel uncomfortable. But if you've laid the foundation and the groundwork where everyone has, has, has opted in, are we going to be group, we're going to be team, and we, yes, we're going to be a team, what does it feel like, what do we feel or think to be on this team, and we really get people vested, because I'll tell you, sometimes Freeman says some things that are really hard for me to hear, and sometimes I say things to Freeman that are really hard to hear, but we know that they're anchored in what is our definition, that I'm seeing him, and I'm holding us in our highest regard. And so when I do say something that's difficult to hear in that moment, because all of us, it's not just that person that talks too much, it's all of us. 
<laughs> you know, that behavior isn't just reserved for that person. We are that person sometimes. I might even well, be and, seeing that person right now. <laughs> yeah, and what that person, <laughs> no, from not my at perspective, all. what that person really needs is they need a generous space so that that can be reflected back to them. Because I promise you, they're, they're talking too much and being redundant or whatever it is isn't only showing up in work. It's showing up in other areas of their life. So how do we, as a, let's call it a loving community, that's what team is, by the way, but as a loving mm-hmm. community, mm-hmm. create a space so that person can see themselves in a way that's constructive and make choices that align with what it is they really want, which is to feel mm-hmm. seen, heard, valued, right? We want to give, keep giving them opportunities so they can get their needs met in a real way versus the adaptive way they've learned to, which isn't really working for them anyhow. So we have about one minute left, guys. I am loving this conversation, and I know people are going to want to know more, so how can they find you and find more information? Go ahead, Freeman. Okay, so uh, we can be reached at group2team.com, and it's spelled out T-O, so G-R-O-U-P-T-O, team.com. All right, so Susan Lady hanging out in Mexico these days, being a great partner with Freeman Michaels in the business of group to team Thank you so much for being here with us. It's been a pleasure. Freeman Michaels hanging out in L.A. these days. And the, I must say, the two of you travel all over the world, so it's wonderful yes. that you're taking us everywhere. And I just love what you're doing. I know other people will, too. The two of you generate that spirit of partnership and team, and you're so genuine and authentic in that. You are excellent models for people. I know that they learn so much and embody this from you. Thank you for being here today. It's been a pleasure to have you on Leading Conversations. Thanks, Cheryl. Thanks, Cheryl. Remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.